podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. And this is true We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do We don't need robbing, stealing, or mugging In fact, don't take it seriously We're only bugging Welcome to the Whistleblowers My name's Stuart Wright And if you sign up and deposit up to £50 And Labrooks will put the same amount into your account Giving you up to £50 worth of free bets Just follow the link bet.thewhistleblowers.net now, on to the show. I've got not one, but two authors on today's show. I've got with me uh, David Seeger. Hello, David. Hello. Author of Cloppite, One Man's Quest to Turn Doubters into Believers. We'll go on to that in a minute. And i got Richard Foster. Hello, Richard. Good evening. Author of Football's Flaws and Foibles. Has it got some? Um, I hope so, because that's what the book's all about. So, yeah, it's it's got a few... <laughs> As uh, Jane Austen once said, you know, she loved Emma Woodhouse despite her manifest faults. And, you know, I love football, but it has got a few. Okay. Well, both welcome to the show. Let's start off with just, do you want to give us a brief synopsis, David, as to what your book's about before we get into the football? Absolutely. Uh, As as the title indicates, it's about Jurgen Klopp and uh, his first two seasons uh, as Liverpool manager. Uh, I came to the idea of writing the book when he came over to England, uh, initially thinking this guy's going to have some sort of impact uh, when he gets over here, and so wrote it as he went. So I was kind of reliant on interesting things happening, and they did in the first two seasons. Uh, and it basically just breaks down his time, the effect he had on the club, the effect he had on English football, the effect it had on him, uh, and where it led him to. And uh, it's led him to a point where, as the, as the subtitle suggests about turning doubters into believers, it's led him to a point where he's very much still trying to. Indeed, and that's out now, yeah? It is, yes. Richard, do you want to tell us, I mean, it's obvious from the title, but do you have a, do you have a catchy way of telling us briefly about what the book's about? Well, it goes, it's actually uh, done alphabetically. So I've got about 45 flaws and foibles. I could have written 450 flaws and foibles, but these are the main ones. I'll give you an example, plane protests. Anybody who <laughs> hires a plane for about a grand to say Wenger out or whatever it might be, isn't really uh, of this world, I don't think. So, you know, there are so many things that when you watch a game, it screams out to you, this is wrong. So it was just a way of unleashing all that. And it's almost like Pandora's box. You open it up and it, all the demons rush out. Well, feel free to, to fritter some on us when we're talking about other games. Of course and, I will. And I'm sure there's relevance to uh, your book and uh, the three no win over Huddersfield when we get there. So, hands up, who knew England under-17s were in the World Cup final on Saturday? Uh, yes, I did know I did. they were in it, yeah. See, impressive lot. I, it, was, it was like a big surprise to me. It was like... It was I, BBC. I, I was only keeping an eye on Rianne Brewster. I didn't care about anyone else. Okay. <laughs> so, so, there's a fantastic result for England. Yeah. But, and the golden boot, Ryan Brewster, Liverpool. Absolutely. Player of the tournament, um, Phil Foden of Man City. Yeah. David, will we ever see Brewster? I think so. I mean, Klopp is, he kind of goes, goes hot and cold in terms, of, in, in terms of youngsters. He very much wants to give them a chance, but he also doesn't want to throw them in too early. And he's already, he's given the likes of Ben Woodburn and Trent Alexander-Arnold opportunities in the past. With Brewster, from reading his, his interviews on, on it and everyone else at the club who's, who's dealt with him, everyone absolutely loves 
Brewster and knows that he's he's got a lot of talent and think he's got a big chance of coming through eventually but are very um, aware that he's only 17 years old. Mm. And of course, the trouble really for Brewster is that being a striker, and he's now an out striker, it's not as if really he can maybe fill in a wide position. He's got Roberto Firmino, Daniel Sturridge, Dominic Solanke, potentially Divock Origi if he comes back, possibly Danny Ings if he ever recovers yeah. uh, ahead of him. But I, I think it wouldn't surprise me if at some point this season, probably towards the end, Maybe in an, an early FA Cup game, he could at least get a, a sub appearance. But he was he was actually on the bench for Liverpool last season against Crystal Palace, I think it was, um, right. which was, I think was just to give him the experience. But I, I think he'll, I certainly think he'll make a first team appearance at some point. Exciting, exciting, Richard. Do you, it doesn't have any bearing, does it, on where England the senior team might or might not end up in future tournaments? But on the seventeen element of the FA to win. Well, I win mean, big. the amazing thing is all these. Uh, under uh, the groups throughout, from under 17s all the way up to under 20s, have had a fantastic year, haven't they? I mean, we've we won the under 20s. So uh, the worry is, and everyone says it, why? What happens to these players in between them winning all these tournaments? This is the first time a country has won two uh, age-related tournaments since Brazil mm. did it uh, a few years ago, and that's the only time it's ever happened. But you just worry that the negativity that surrounds England senior team is going to swallow these guys up. And also, as you say, how much experience are they going to have? Are they going to get thrown in? I mean, we've got a, we actually had a player involved in the squad, amazingly, Nia Kirby, who, but he hasn't been anywhere near the team. And OK, so he's a young man, but I just worry that most... Managers in the Premier League are pragmatic. They will not throw in a young guy if they've got someone who's got a bit of experience because they'll get slaughtered if that guy doesn't do very well. So there is an issue. How much exposure are these guys going to get to first-team football? Are they going to be in a positive frame of mind when they possibly go up to England level? I don't know. We've had golden generations before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they've completely failed at every level. You know, the Gerrard, Lampard group didn't really get anywhere near mm. where they should have been. So, you know, it's fantastic to see it, but I worry where the next stage is for a lot of these players. But congratulations nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Well done, lads. Only up from here. Probably. So, you're at one of my favourite junctures in the league, the infamous sort of 10 games and let's see where the season is. Yes. Um, it's been a tad ridiculous when when the sports news tell us that after game two, yeah, the league looks like this. Yeah, and everyone's got six, four, three, two points, and you're kind of and zero when you talk about Palace, Richard. Yes, yes. At that <laughs> point, anymore. we only had zero. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've improved since. But um, I mean, the weird thing is because obviously Man City uh, are quite impressive, aren't they? So just a tad one nine, L- L- draw L- one, L- one, L- one draw though, one draw against yeah. Everton as well. That was, yeah, rubbish. that was weird. Why did they draw <laughs> Everton? Uh, you know, thirty five goals. That's quite, I worked out, actually, that if they continue at that, it's 3.5 goals per game. They're going to get about 120 goals. But is that going to happen? Probably not. Um, are, we looking, are we looking at the next Invincibles? There's something you mentioned before the show. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, there are only two teams who've ever been through a league, top-flight league mm. season undefeated. Obviously, Arsenal 2004... Before that, it was 115 years, 1889. Mm. The first ever league season was Preston, 
who were then known as the Invincibles, who also won the FA Cup without conceding a goal. Mm. Now, considering the 115 years in between, I don't think there's going to be... I just can't see City going through the whole season without getting defeated. I mean, I've got a feeling, I don't know what you think, David, it, it, you know, it was 78% to 22%, and that's away yeah. at West Brom. Uh, obviously not a team that generally comes at you. Yeah. But is Pep Guardiola going to prove the pundits wrong that you can win the league by having the ball? I, I think so. I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's necessarily as a, a straightforward as, as like, if you have loads of the ball, you will win games. Mm. If you don't, you, you won't or whatever. But I think his style of football, once he gets gets it going and gets it certainly gets it played with the, the standard of players he's got, it's just so hard to play against. I think if, if you gave him a team where, and you do see it with, with some teams, you've seen it to a certain extent with Liverpool, where you maybe have not quite as good a squad, but you still have them playing a game where they have 60-70% possession, but they don't always do the best thing with mm. it, then that's where that comes unstuck and they can lose to a team who have hardly had the ball and had many less shots. But I think when you've got... Most the, the 1990s and the yeah, 2000s. Sort of yes, thing. mostly, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of lost seasons. But um, the I think with this squad, with, with the, the, the weapons he's got... I think he could. I think he'll win the league. I don't think he, they're going to be the Invincibles purely because certainly I, I didn't see much of that Preston side. I've got to admit um, from from the eighteen eighties. <laughs> nah. But uh, the Arsenal team were they were the Invincibles because they were so solid throughout the team. They they were as good in, at the back as they were going forward. They were the epitome of a spine. They, they were. They absolutely mm-hmm. the best. Probably the possibly the best spine in in Premier League history. But the. But this this Man City team, and I think we we saw it to a certain extent at the weekend. They're certainly better defensively, and their mm. their stats defensively are actually really good this season. They're mm. top of the the stats for like shots True. against and and um, chances conceded. But it's it's something about that goal that Otamendi uh, let in the, the the chest back, which you kind of think that could happen at any time. And that you just feel there's got to be a game at some point where they just defend a bit too badly to make up for. And they can't hit a bando from two yards. Okay. Yeah, just just one game where it just it just doesn't go in for them because at the moment <laughs> everything is going in for them. But it's interesting that Guardiola is such a perfectionist. He's giving Sane apparently quite a hard time. Sterling, who scored who have been nine amazing. goals or something, <laughs> and he, he only scored ten last season. Seven in seven league games, and he yeah. came off the bench this this weekend. Wow. And you know, if if he's pushing those guys at this stage. Hmm. It just suggests that they they have got they're a great team. They they've got fantastic ability throughout the 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 whole side. But as you say, there are fallibilities at the back. And any side who's got Ottomendi in, I just cannot believe will go through a season unbeaten. I'm saying that. Put me down. Thirty first <laughs> of October. Let's go to a break. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. Right, and the other end of the uh, first 10 games is the glorious fact that we've now got three managers out of a job 10 games in. Right. Um, your team, Palace, were the first to to make that leap. Yep, they twitched, didn't they? Yeah. <sighs> was, before we go into like what Hodgson's done, were you willing to wait? Or was you, willing, was you, was you ready to jump? Well, <coughs> funny enough... I was on a podcast just before the start of the season with uh, someone you know, Kevin Day, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the prospects for Palace. And we both said, please, please, let's have some patience because De Boer has obviously got a different way of playing. He's going to, you know, it's going to be very cultured. 
So four league games in, he's shot. Now, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of Steve Parrish to say that he brought De Boer in to make this change. Okay, we lost the first four games, didn't score a goal. But do you really change your manager that quickly? Because if if you're going to go through a radical change of style of play, you need a bit more than four games to bring it around. And I, the players look confused to me in quite a few of the games mm. that I saw early on. They just didn't quite know what to do. I missed the opening game against Huddersfield, but apparently we were just looking at each other going, what am I meant to do now? I've got the ball at my feet. I'm a defender. You know, They almost... They almost Beat Liverpool, didn't they? Yeah, so yeah, before, we were not far Palace away. We, we gave you the goal, didn't we? Yeah, and then Christian Benteke very handily did what he did when he was in Liverpool shirt, largely, and uh, smacked an easy chance over the bar. <laughs> it's all right, he's injured now, so we don't yeah. have to worry about it. <laughs> but thinking of like 10 games in now, and yeah. you've, you've, uh, you've been able to launch a book tomorrow... Yeah, because you've got goals under your belt. I do believe that was a <laughs> no. Party, I, was party waiting, I was waiting to announce the launch until we scored a goal. So that was only <laughs> three weeks ago. But you know, I'm now willing to go full pelt because we've got four points. For goodness sake, you're thinking about potentially Christmas advertising at one point. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, the stocking filler. <laughs> Maybe if we score on Boxing Day. Yeah. What What do you think of uh, Hodgson's jig of delight when things go well? It's a little bit eerie, isn't it? Seeing a seventy-plus-year-old guy doing that, but um, but who can I'm, I'm glad to see who he's can... got he's got something in him, you know. Because a lot of people say he was a bit dull and a bit, you know, unemotional. But he's he's clearly excited about this prospect. I wish I wish he had a bit more verve about him. But hey, you know, as we were talking about earlier, characters in football. Do you want your manager to be a character? No, you want your manager to be a good manager and an astute manager. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of Tony Pulis, but he manages to get his teams into the right place. And it's not fantastic football, as you say. He's, he's not that keen on possession, really. But he sets his team out to do that. I mean, he usually has four centre-backs, one of them playing at left, one of them playing yeah. at right. Um, but he knows how to survive. And, you know, we've had Allardyce as well. And I know he's now touted as a possible Everton mm. manager, which will be, again, interesting because Everton have been one of those clubs, you know, meant to have pure way of playing football. Uh, if Allardyce goes in there, I can guarantee you he'll change that attitude and that style of play. Now, there's one thing to be characterised, but Hodgson, as, as, as Liverpool fans fondly, no, don't fondly remember, mm. was the king of lowering expectations. Yeah, and he's, he's still doing it. The, even for Palace, when, when they beat Chelsea, the, the best result for ages, such a great relief for Palace fans. They were so happy and so excited. Roy Hodgson comes out afterwards and says, we're going to lose again soon, so don't get... <laughs> he did say He did say yeah, what, yeah. what? I know he's got to manage expectations, but that's just like... It's just like getting married and saying, oh, we'll probably get divorced eventually, won't we? So what's the, what's the point? Why do we go through this ceremony? Yeah. yeah. No, he did say that there are sort of triumphs. Like, I think he said it was like a wedding or like a funeral. And he said, expect more funerals. Go, oh, great. <laughs> so I'll renew my season ticket, yeah? yeah? Yeah. Okay, cool. But there's nothing better, Richard, than, uh, than a last kick of the game equaliser, is there? That was... I, I took my 16-year-old son to that, and he's been through quite a few... Uh, traumas in the last few few years including his 16th birthday when we lost 4-0 at home to Sunderland but that game you know we were we were a little bit unlucky to be 2-0 down at half time but it was doom and gloom as you can expect okay we got an early goal back I mean I must say West Ham were not very good and they retreated and retreated but 
you know, we kept knocking on the door and somehow Joe Hart suddenly became this brilliant keeper out of nowhere, mm. made two or three unbelievable saves. Yeah. And we kept hitting the post and the bar and you just thought, it's going to be one of these games. Zahar was getting a whole lot of flack from the West Ham fans who were telling him he wasn't very good and he would never make the England squad and, you know, that usual stuff. And for him to do that, uh, I think it was overshadowed by the fact that everyone went on about what Antonio did, you know, clipping it in from the corner. Why didn't he go into the corner flag? It was remarkably stupid. Yeah, but I would almost (laughs) put it in my next revised copy of um, Flaws and Foibles. I hate people who go into the corner and just muck about with it and get a throw in and then take it back into the corner. It's just such negative, sterile football. I understand they'd have got three points if he'd done it. Mm. But the fact is, Zahar got that goal. And Zahar is our only hope. I mean, I don't want to say we're a one-man team, but we're a one-man team. When he's playing, we really are a reasonable team. When he's not playing, as he got injured in the first game, didn't play for four Mm. or five games, we were... We had nothing up but it, front. It was the Chelsea game, his first game back, wasn't yeah, it? Which was exactly. obviously the start of the scored, turnaround. So, yeah. You know, he's now our top scorer. He's only played in three games. So, <laughs> David, you, you were at Anfield on, uh, on Saturday for the wonderful 3-0 against Huddersfield. A, uh, uh, listening back to the, uh, to the commentary on Match of the Day, even, the, the guy, I can't remember who commented now, he says, the referee has blown for a penalty, I think... What was it like in the ground? It was weird because um, it came from a, f- a free kick uh, out on the left, and he'd there was as it always is with those things. Everyone, there's a few people falling down. Mm. I think Matip headed it across goal. I was just looking to see if I think Sturridge was in the middle. If he was going to put it in, it had just gone uh, beyond him for a goal kick. And when the referee blows up, you just assume he's given it against the attacking side. But then all of a sudden he's walking towards the goal, pointing at the spot, and you think, he's not. He's, he's pointing at where he's given the free kick, or is it a goal kick, and he's blown for it? It's weird. And then, obviously, he books, um, I think it was Tommy Smith, um, the defender who'd, who'd committed the foul. And so no one knew what he'd, what he'd given it for, but everyone knew they were devastated that Mohamed Salah, for some reason, was allowed to take the penalty. And then, obviously, he's, he's had a brilliant start to his Liverpool career, but he was allowed to take the penalty on the strength that he'd scored the one for mm. Egypt. Um, the most important he, penalty. Goal it was a very, very important pressure, penalty. It was, it was under a lot of pressure and Klopp said something after and said it must must be more pressure to take a penalty for Liverpool in a Premier League game than Egypt was to get to the World Cup. consecutive spot kick miss by you guys? It was four, from, four from the last five. Is it really? Um, which was since since James Milner was just scoring them every game. We had them all on the game. pitch. Yeah, Milner was pitch. on. Firmino was Sturridge on. Sturridge definitely wanted to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Firmino didn't want to take it. Milner wasn't going to argue. Milner doesn't, yeah. He'll have took it if you'd asked him, I think. Yeah. But he's, I think, yeah, but once, once that was missed, um, it, everyone, was, everyone went down to the concourse for half-time a bit peeved. Um, but, but, in, the, but in the end, it was, a reg, it was a regulation win, which I don't mean that to demean 3-0, but Liverpool are either the next, the next new gold dream or they're terrible. And to just get, go into a game where you come out going, we've won, must be quite pleasing. Yeah, it was, it was odd. I, I wrote something uh, on this for, for the Anfield Wrap the other, uh, yesterday, in fact, about... It was a routine win that isn't routine for Liverpool. Mm. We don't tend to do this. We tend to home home games against against lower teams. We tend to either obviously not win, win by the skin of our teeth one nil or whatever, or hammer them four or five nil. A two nil or three nil is actually a very rare sight mm. at, at Anfield, and it was quite satisfying, especially given the first half had been poor. I mean Huddersfield, considering they were a week off having beaten Manchester United, they turned up to Anfield with a game plan of trying to 
just not concede and maybe have a shot that might have gone in. Um, they, they were very, very bus parky. Um, but Liverpool didn't have much in the first half to get through them, apart from a few long balls from Jordan Henderson. The second half, a little bit of luck with the first goal. Yeah. Um, although I think it was forced to an extent. Firmino made to run down the left. Smith tries to cut off the ball from Moreno and it ends up going straight to Sturridge and it was a really good finish. But from then on, yeah, I was I was very, very pleased with the second half. I think there was some excellent football that was just a world removed from, from the first half. And G- Ginny scored, Ginny Wijnaldum scored what has been described twice by other people as a ripper. IU did it against you guys, mm-hmm. his Palace. Yeah, he did. And Sane did it against... Uh, West Brom, where the ball is just going straight to the goal and nobody sees it before it's in the net. Yeah. Quite a pleasing sight, I think, that kind of goal. Absolutely. I, I didn't enjoy the eye goal. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the um the yeah, the one album goal, I was I was in the in the main stand and I was fortunate enough to be right behind it. And when he hits it, you kind of because you haven't got that depth when you're right behind mm. it, you're not entirely sure how close it is to the goal. And then it's just when the, the net ripples after such a short amount of time and you think, blimey, especially when Spinaldum has had a fairly poor start mm. to the season. I just assumed he was taking it too far. He wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't get it in, but it was a brilliant, brilliant finish and very similar to his finish against Middlesbrough on the last day of last season as well. Is the stat still true? He's never scored an away goal. Yeah. Yeah. Either for Newcastle or Liverpool. Not even when he went back to Newcastle as no, a Liverpool player. I, that was the that was the away game I thought he was yeah, going to score yeah, in, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he didn't. But right. he did he did score against Hertha Berlin in a preseason friendly <coughs> oh, in, did he? in Berlin. Okay, you, you, because it was a preseason were you friendly. There? Uh, no, I was I was <laughs> I was uh, watching it for my sins. But um, it was uh, it was yeah that was that's the only away goal I'm aware of him scoring, and it was a preseason friendly, so okay. it doesn't count. Now, very quickly, just one one last we'll just just touch on uh, United Spurs. Yeah, and um, on the one hand. Having praised um, City for how they're playing, mm. Man United in second place. Are there, is it unfair not to praise them for what they've achieved to be second? I think it is a little bit. I think it's this sort of anti-Marino stance, which mm. you know, which I'm well on board with, by the way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's not a likable character, which we understand. But you know, he's turned United, who went through a few years of trauma, didn't they, mm. under both Moyes and Van Gaal. You know, the post-focus scenario was always going to be difficult. But, uh, you know, he won two trophies last season. He's turned them into, you know, the possibly the only challengers mm. to City. I, mean, I can't see any other teams. I mean, Spurs look great sometimes, but then again, they don't look so great. No. The Wembley uh, factor as well. I was, was going to say, from, from, a, from a Liverpool point of view, David, don't you wish that Spurs had defended like that against us? Absolutely. I watched the, I've only caught the first half of... Uh, of the United Tottenham game, but it was so frustrating watching it. Not just the defending, where obviously you could say for the, for the goal when, I, when yeah. I'd seen that, that it was horrific. And the sort of thing where if Liverpool had conceded that goal, it would have been analysed over and over the again Liverpool, the by everyone pills. saying, and, and yeah. rightly so, because obviously we concede so many. But uh, from from that one, yeah, it was it was frustrating. But the it was the finishing as well. Like the, the Dali Alley's miss where it comes over. It's like every everything that they shot against us at Wembley went in somehow. And uh, against United, Ali was a few yards out and someone managed to scoop it wide. But... There was, it was uh, just before the goal as well. It was, it, it was. Yeah. Um, do, do you think United have got enough to stay with City at all to make it competitive? I don't I don't think they do, but that's not really a criticism of United. I just think City is so good that I, I don't think United have got enough about them yet to be a sort of win nine out of ten games team, whereas obviously City are because they have. Um but I do think I do think United will ultimately finish second, but I could see it be still being a fair way. Fairway off city. Well, thanks, guys. That's been the whistleblowers. This is a playback media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk.
If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, IBM and others and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. What's your thoughts on Fulham? Chances are you don't think about them too much, but nice away day by the river, used to have a Michael Jackson statue, and once did quite well under Roy Hodgson. But that's probably about it, because chances are you're not a Fulham fan. However, if you do know someone that supports Fulham, maybe a mate or a colleague at work, please tell them about the Fulhamish podcast that I host every week looking at each Fulham game as it comes and goes, with a nice bit of quirkiness and humour along the way too. You can find Fulhamish at fulhamish.co.uk, and we're also available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, Acast, and playbackmedia.co.uk. That's Fulhamish, your weekly independent Fulham FC podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.